Hey, Bob, guess what? Hey. We're talking about lithium-ion batteries today. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what doesn't suck, uh, or we can make suck a little bit less, is yes. uh, is using FLT's hybrid decon, because they are revolutionizing the decon process with their bar method, which is blot, apply, and remove using a wet and dry decon. Think about it. No more rigging, no more hoses, no more finding an area large enough to set it all up. This area is compact, like toss it in the back of the cheese car, small. Yeah, but don't take our word for it. Do your own recon at makedeconsuckless.com or visit them at firstlinetech.com, where First Line Tech is making decon suck a little less. We are back with episode 406. What a glorious, glorious number. Um, this is interesting because we actually have a, uh, a guest. He's waiting in the wings right now. I've added a couple of buttons to the board for sound effects. I'm try I want to try them out. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> um, but I'm going to mention before we bring our guest in here, um, what started with, hey, we got like one left has now become i think we have 11 in the pipeline to next year now so we have conferences tons of conferences coming up like i had three meetings with three different conferences today so yeah a lot of stuff uh nothing settled though so i can't really mention them yet no no even the one that we thought was settled for september is anyway yeah uh, can't so, even talk about that but anyhow let's talk about America's favorite topic, lithium-ion batteries. Yes. So let's bring in our guest. You may know him. His name is Chris Green. I don't want to introduce you wrong, so why don't you introduce yourself to us? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm Chris Green. I'm recent, re recently retired, as in uh, June 30th of this year. I retired from Seattle Fire Department. Uh, retired as a captain. I was a captain for about a little over 16 years while I was there. Um, I'm credited with uh, with building the nation's first and only energy response technical team. Uh, that team operated out of Fire Station 25 on Capitol Hill in Seattle, Washington. For those of you who don't know where Capitol Hill is, if you remember the chop, that is Capitol Hill. Uh -huh. So it's not like we didn't have enough work to do to begin with. Let's start a technical team because I'm a little bit manic and I never really am done, even though you don't sleep. It's one of those uh, what you call RAM companies where you're up all night. That's just the way it is. Uh, but that technical team turned out to, uh, to, to be to really be something. And in my career, it gave me a great cognitive outlet that uh, I didn't see coming. You know, I was a good captain, good at paperwork and uh, running a very big battalion two, which is the downtown headquarters station. It's that's 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 the battalion two headquarters is station 25. And uh, this energy thing kind of came out of uh, out of an incident that really didn't go very well. A substation fire downtown Seattle. Beautiful backdrop was the Space Needle in June of 2014. And we've got black smoke pouring out of 
the substation. And uh, I'm on vacation, by the way, when this happens, just so we're clear. And the move was to open up a deck gun on a capacitor bank fire, which is basically an oil-based fire. And capacitors just used to smooth out voltage as it moves throughout the city with uh, different demands and things like that. It's, anyways, no time to really explain to you how a capacitor bank works, but there's a shit ton of oil in it and it makes black smoke. And so, hey, let's hit it with a deck gun. Well, uh, that was probably not the best move. You say you would never do that, but that's crap. I've seen this. I can find these videos all over the place. Oh, I, I would do it all that. day long. <laughs> oh, I love that. Hazmat the shit out of this thing, right? right? Let's fill it up with water and then dump it in the street. <laughs> Anyways, so what came from that, and again, so this is 2014, was I get a phone call from the chief, and he says, hey, listen, I need you to go talk to City Light. That's the energy provider. I need you to smooth this thing over because uh, this thing didn't go so well. And I don't really know this. And it's a gap that I made. I should have investigated, but I called a meeting and it's a disaster. They've got videos and pictures and there's no way that I can wordsmith or lie my way out of this thing. You know, it's a room with, with 12 people in it, 12 chairs, and there's 13 of us. There's, we, you know, you're just screwed. But what was reserved, what was saved was they were pretty clear. We're done with a program that is that exists on flash drives and in binders. That's not going to be our training and our relationship anymore. It's not going to be founded on a bunch of paper that can be lost or whatever. Uh, we want something real. And um, and so that was the beginning of this team. And so while we were birthed in a substation incident that went bad, we immediately moved into underground vaults and manholes and switchgear rooms and all that kind of stuff because that's kind of what happens when you start, when you own energy. And at that point I did, you know, you, the first thing you do is, is really kind of widen up. Like, what is energy? What the hell is energy? And so from overhead, which we routinely get wrong in the fire service, we get lucky. And then we go back to the firehouse and we talk about what a great job we did. But really what you did is you got lucky. You don't really tell me the voltage of the ground gradient field that you were in. You don't know that, do you? Right. Most cities have got four or five voltages they got to worry about going through their city. And you're only going to interface with about three of them because the other ones are real trouble or they're very difficult to get to. Right. And again, just I should be clear. I'm a farmhand. I've got <laughs> no education. I barely graduated high school. Uh, I have nothing to show for like I was in high school and I got like some sort of certificate that says you were there long enough to get a degree or a diploma. That's about it. So, uh, uh, so anyways, sounds when, perfect for the fire department, frankly. When you say they have to worry about five different voltages, w what do they have to worry about? I mean, obviously, besides getting electrocuted. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I say worry and maybe I'm using the wrong terms, but you should be aware of this stuff because you're around this stuff at all times. And if you're going to start deciding what is safe and what is not safe, it better be based in something. Otherwise, you're guessing. So for me, I know when I have a 110 line on the ground, I have a good idea of what my ground gradient field is going to be. It's likely going to be about a foot and a half at best because it's 110 volts. Now, that doesn't speak to the amperage and the hazard that's right there once you get that close. Right. And it certainly violates NFPA 70E, which says you're supposed to be 10 feet back from anything up to 50,000 volts. But the fact is, is that the days come when you have to make a decision. And I don't mean moving in close, but understanding where that should be. Because in Seattle, our transmission lines are 26,000 volts. I don't know what they are in New York, but I do understand, I do know what your underground network system is. But let's just take a 26,000 volt line that moves around the city and it's above the pot transformers that are on the, on the, uh, on the, the utility poles, right? That line goes on the ground. Now you've got a problem. 
Now you've got minimum 35 feet that you need to be back. Now you've got a real gradient field because you've got high amperage and you've got a big field to worry about. That's when you can start energizing underground utilities and things like that through the top. It's also when the smart guy on the rig that picks up a USA hot stick and decides they're going to find where the boundary is for that, for that uh, ground gradient field, that's when that guy ends up in real trouble. Because they take a tool that's not meant to do anything like that, but they're pretty sure that I know this is different because Captain Green said that a 110 line on the ground and a 26 kV line on the ground were different. And they are different, but I never gave authority to use that stick that way. And this is the problem, right? Because what's happening is vendors are moving into the energy space just like they did with hazmat. And they're taking advantage of us based on our ignorance and scaring us because we don't really understand this energy thing. Now, nothing exposed our lack of understanding to this stuff like lithium ion. So I will give it credit for that. If we can use lithium ion as a springboard to better understanding energy and how it, how it, how it, how it is in, in basically every alarm we go on, then, then that's a good thing. I'll take it. I'll take it. If you want to call it hazmat, that's fine. Just tell me that you're going to use it to springboard a better understanding vaults, manholes, transformers, substations, overhead lines, switchgear rooms, solar, and everything in between, and all of the nexus stuff that goes along. The job that we did when I came in 30 years ago, I would not say that it's harder but I think you maybe there's some things out there that are jamming us up a little bit that we need to be more concerned about. Case in point, you go out to, a, to an SFR, single family residential structure, and you say you're the second in truck. And part of your responsibility is going to be to secure the utilities, right? To properly secure the utilities to any SFR in the country, you got four things you got to be thinking about. It's not just the overhead power drop. Because the fact is, if you call in your energy provider, they open up the high voltage cutout at the street. And that house has a generac. All that generac knows is, oh, looks like we lost power. Let's turn this baby on. And that generac may not be right next to the building. It may be located, you know, 100 yards away because mom and dad don't want to hear it come on in the middle of the night. So you've got two energy sources right there. The other two are going to be your lithium ion ES garage that you've got to be aware of. That's simply going to be a knife switch. And then solar. And I can tell you one thing. If you see solar, you should be thinking ESS in the garage. If you see ESS in the garage, you should be thinking solar on the rooftop. And they, they may be tied together. But sure. as far as securing those utilities, they will be independent. And you got to actually think basement I, in many places. Exactly. So like when we came in, I'm assuming we're all of kind of the same generation, right? Um, securing utilities meant going in and, and, and opening the main breaker because you've got energy coming, but you've still got work to do, right? You're going to work in an energized environment. And if you were if you were a new guy, you try to be really thorough about this and you closed all, or you opened all the breakers and then FIU shows up and they want to kill you because you just took away some of their autopsy, right? So you learn the hard way. Hey, just open up the main one. Leave the ones that are in float position alone because that's part of our investigation that helps us determine what happened. That makes sense? It does. So you guys, uh, remind me, because if I, I think this is how it went, is that at some point in the recent history, Seattle put into service a team that was specifically designed to handle energy. Can you go through that? Yeah. Yeah, that was the team that uh, that was developed at Fire Station 25. That was the, that was the end result of 
of that conversation from the fire chief in 2014. He came to me and said, hey, you need to take care of this thing. And that the build out, uh, kind of the culmination was June of 2018. We were fully funded as the nation's first energy response technical team out of Station 25. It's 44 technicians trained by Seattle City Light and as much information as we can cobble together. Um, and you're paid tech, you're paid hazard pay. So technician pay, you've got minimum staffing. We've got a rig now that you've probably seen on TV. It's the Energy One um, that is uh, was. Uh, partial my design. Mm. I don't like to take too much credit I've, for that because I designed the CO2 propulsion system in the box. But the fact is, is that, uh, you know, um, you know, that was a that's a Pierce rig, right? It's a Pierce chassis, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of hands involved in building out that rig. But um, that was a one point three million dollar rig. And that is the flagship for energy response in the nation today. It's a great yeah, rig. I've seen the Echo one from from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, but I've yeah. never seen Energy One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Energy so when One, you so say Energy when you say hold up when you say technician, let's just you're you're moving really fast. When you say technician, <laughs> what uh, obviously not hazmat technician. You're talking energy technician. Oh. What is the what is the difference between how you train people to become energy technicians versus how somebody would train to be hazmat? And is the thought process the same? Just you're dealing with a different harm. So in, in a way, I mean, it's a it's a great question because and and imagine I'm not going to take it back a little bit. Imagine fielding this question in 1980 when Seattle Seattle I, Fire I was one. I couldn't talk in 1980. <laughs> okay. Well, so only because it's such a great question. Like like when I started building this thing out. And it was clearly going down the road of, of, of technician, hazard pay, all that kind of stuff. What does it look like? And actually, Hazmat and Rescue One is where we went to how do you build this out? How do you build out like a program that is not accredited anywhere in the world, but you're going to do it right here? And for us, we started with energy and Seattle City Light helping us build out what do those guys have to go through obviously we're not electricians but if we're going to be entering these spaces if we're going to be if we're going to get within two feet of a twenty-six thousand volt line that's down inside of a of a of a switch gear switching space or inside of a vault and flood that vault with co2 and get that close we have to know how that energy actually moves does that make sense? And it so does. we built this criteria out through Seattle City Light. I'm going to back you up a little bit because this is where it gets kind of fun, I think, anyways. So the first hazmat technician level language you would have thought would have hit NFPA back in the 70s, right? Because the first hazmat technician team was developed in Florida in 1977. Seattle was developed in 1980 and so on and so forth. Well, your first language shows up in NFPA in 1986, Tech rescue is the same thing. You've got FDNY and, and, and companies across the country had technician level rescue companies that went all the way back into the 80s. And yet your first true technician level certification sign off stuff did not show up until I believe it was 1994 or maybe 1993, somewhere yeah. in there. But these I teams existed. And you know why? Because the hazards existed. And so it's always been. The members are dealing with this thing. And pick this thing, whatever it is, this widget, and it's really jamming us up. And there's consistencies. 
and we can see them and we're, we're experiencing them and the members start building this thing out. That is all energy is. It's the same thing. We're going through the same thing right now that I guarantee that they went through back in the 70s and 80s when they were trying to, trying to articulate what is this body of work? Is there a hazard attached to it? Is there a PPE element to it? Is there training beyond the level of your standard tenured firefighter? And if so, does it justify a technical team? And that's something that the jurisdiction answers. Well, Seattle so, answered that. So do, do you have who, – who makes up this team? I mean, obviously a boss, but do you have rescue guys, firefighters, EMS? Is it like a task force? No, so no, we don't have like a task force. So right now, if if we were if somebody was to call and need an energy response, you might get it in King County. Like if somebody had a substation or a vault fire or something that was giving them real trouble, you might call in these guys because this is something that they're very good at. And I should be clear, the 44 members of Fire Station 25, that's also one of the busiest houses in the city of Seattle. And so these are these are guys that are running and gunning all day long, anyhow. This additional body of work is on top of that, which they already have to do. But the way things work is that if you want to find your, if you want to, if you want to, if you've got a lot of work to do, find your workers. Mm. And we all know those houses. And, and as busy as they are, somehow they seem to be the go-to companies to get work done. And so downtown, you know, we've got one technical team, which is, which is a, a, a water rescue team, which is out of station five on a water. That's also engine four where the boat is. You've got hazmat, which is which is engine 10 and, and ladder one, which is right downtown battalion two. And now up, up on the hill, you've got the energy response team up on the hill again, battalion two. And so what's interesting is in a battalion that's getting annihilated all day long with homeless fentanyl assaults on fire crews, everything you can imagine. That's who you turn to because that's your workers. You know, Rescue One is barely outside of the second battalion. And so what we what we did is that where we identified areas where there was crossover of energy and rescue or energy and hazmat, we coupled with them to try to build a more robust response. Here's I'll give you exact it's great example. Let's say you've got a utility worker that drops inside of a, a, uh, a street access vault. So you know you're going to have a hatch up top, which is going to be square. That's how they're going to drop the transformer. And then you're going to have a 42-inch round, which is, which is either going to have stairs on the side of it or they're going to put a ladder inside of it, depending on how big it is. Either way, you're going to have, you're going to have an energy worker down there and probably two up top, maybe one down there, but always three in the area. Now, we can agree that that is a confined space as we see it. Now, energy is going to tell you, no, that's an enclosed space and that's a different requirement, but whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a boxy space. Now, somebody down there may have had a heart attack and they can't get out. That energy is stable. But your concern is the energy is the hazard, even though it's stable. So that's the first question you ask is, hey, is energy stable or is it unstable? Because we got to know if we're going to go down there and try to get this person out. Now, Rescue One would come with us on this on this response because they would handle everything above ground, like as far as the rigging and things like that. And by handle it, I mean, they're going to be there just to make sure that the crews are setting it up right. They're there to make sure that that kind of stuff is done. But the hazard is energy. And that's my guys. Mm. My guys know hazard. Nobody can go into that space and identify a problem faster than my guys. Nobody are more familiar with an arc flash 
or actual open air arcing in the thermal. Nobody's more familiar with that than my guys. All right. So what That's what training they, do they get? Is it all in house? It's all in house, and well, if in house includes city of Seattle. Uh, city of Seattle, meaning Seattle City Light, that's who does all of our voltage rated training, our proximity training, all that kind of stuff comes through them. And we built the program out to cover all of that. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Like, again, I'm a farmhand. I'm not the guy that builds this kind of thing out. But you, you have to know the hazards that you might end up based on the work that may be asked of you. And so the people who understand that hazard better than anybody is energy. But sometimes energy is what's calling you for help, like a substation. Somebody has an incident inside of a substation. Tell me right now what NFPA language you're standing on when you decide to go in there and try to do a rescue. And what training do you really think you got in your career? And I'm not baiting or anything like that. I'm just I'm mm -hmm. being honest. It's a big gap. You know, other than NFPA 70E, which is thin, very thin, we don't really have a lot. Like, what are we worried that's, about yeah, in that, the substation? No, it's funny you say that because I, I know where we came from. Uh, that was, I don't think that was ever addressed. Now, Bob, you were, you know, more of the the, the rescue say. side of sock. Yeah, no, no, no. And But it's interesting because for us, it was always a arrive on scene, wait at the gates for a supervisor of the facility to, to to help direct you but bob what would happen on on our job if there was a worker down if there was a rescue would they wait for a white hat or would they and start to initiate no i uh, there was a i'm almost embarrassed to say it. there was a cockamamie like pole that we would stick down and try to like get the guy with like a hook <laughs> like it was a ridiculous <laughs> yeah it was a ridiculous idea some some guy that wanted to make his mark uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, I don't think there's anything. I think there's nothing really you can do because the guy falls to the bottom of the hole. He's pretty much at the bottom of the hole, but uh, I don't think we do anything until the power's off kind of thing. I don't think anybody would really make entry. Uh, it, I don't think that's a smart move, considering, you know, you got like 1.21 megawatts down there. Uh, you know, doing all types of jazz and just jumping around. I don't, I wouldn't do it. So, so now we're starting to get into it. All right, let's do this. All right, because now you're talking about an energy space that is what's driving this incident is a, an unstable, energized space. You have to wait. And that's one of the first questions. And I would argue that most companies are not going to know to ask that question. It's just going to be a dead stop, no go. But that energy space down there can be absolutely stable. And by the way, in New York City, it'll be a 13.8 kV. That's what you're going to be facing down in that space. And it will be one, it will be one NP, one network, network transformer is what's going to be in there. Not that it won't be tight, but that's what's going to be down in there. And the first question you want to ask is, hey, what's going on in this space? Was this an electrocution? Is it stable? Is the energy considered stable? Meaning it is energized, but there's nothing wrong with it. There's no problems. This person simply had a heart attack. So what would now, be an example of an... Let, 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 
What would be an example of an unstable? Like, I mean, I, I, if I'm sure. if I'm putting in, if I'm putting into terms of hazmat, right? If I'm going to try to convert this and add electrical energy to the whole tracem model, how would I, you know? We consider we always look at hazmat as it's not a problem until it's out of its container. A, a little bit more difficult with energy, but is it essentially the same things? Like when it's able to escape from where it's supposed to be, I consider it to be a hazard or unstable. Is it along those same lines? I, I would say so. Um, I I don't want to take any liberties with what it is that built Hazmat to understand, like, where's the threshold, right? I don't want to take any liberties. But for this team, for energy, it is, is it stable and in place and functioning like it's supposed to? And there's just somebody who's in proximity that's having a medical emergency or something like that? Or is the reason that this emergency is existing is because the energy became unstable, Right. And that's all that is a fundamental question, because the fact is, is that energy may be calling you for the guy who's probably too big to be down in the space. That guy has a cardiac emergency and they need help and they need your help down there. Now, if the energy is not stable and it is driving the emergency, then you got a problem. And then in underground, that might be like a splice feed that failed and you had an arc flash or you had a basically a blowout down there. That's an unstable energy environment. And then the, then you have to make to wait until that that thing is is shut down. Now, that's going to take a little while in a network coverage area like in Manhattan or downtown Seattle or San Francisco or Chicago or Philadelphia or Boston, anywhere right. in the country. Right. Because you've got redundancies. And so on, on, on that feed for that thing, for that transformer, for that space, it's going to have feeds from, say, three, four, maybe five different directions. Shutting that thing down is not easy. It doesn't happen like we just throw a switch and it's done. I mean, sure, if you want to drop 20 percent of Manhattan, OK, we can do that. I got no issue with it. <laughs> right. So but that's the problem is that. Deciding how far into this thing you can go when it's a rescue and you guys jumped right on really the fundamental one. You have to understand whether that energy is stable and it is trust, but verify, right? Like they tell you it's this thing and you know who you probably shouldn't be asking is the victim. And we've mm -hmm. had that happen around the country where they go inside of a of a of a of a um, at grade vault, say on floor five. And you can have that you can have you can have vaults on a number of different floors in a building. So let's let's give an example is uh, you got a, you got a fire alarm that goes off for floor four in a building in downtown, whatever. And it's because the, the smoke detector on the outside of the of the vault went off because there was an arc flash on the inside. Parallel to that, you get a medical emergency call from energy saying, hey, we've got a guy who just got whatever inside of the space. So you got two alarms going in there. You show up and if you don't recognize where you are, and then what is going on, you will push into that situation. I guarantee it. So the questions are, is the energy stable? Is it not? Is this person somebody I can trust? Meaning they haven't been affected by the energy. And somebody on scene will not have been affected by that energy. And then the next move after that is, what can I do? What is the state of the energy? If it's bad enough, then you're not going to be able to do much. And now the situation will dictate your actions because if they're down in a hole, we're in real trouble. If they're at grade and you've got a man door that's open up and you can use a non, basically an isolation voltage rated 20,000 volt hook, now maybe you can drag them out. Now you've got a, now you've got a potential avenue for success. But again, you guys went right down the rabbit hole that is a really I mean, that's the crux of it. But I'll well, guarantee you that people have been stuck in situations where you've had 
people have had cardiac events inside of a substation and everything is stable. And the job is to go in there and get them out and get them to definitive medical care. There is a way to do it safely. And then there's a way to do it that is just trusting that everything's going to be fine. And I don't, but I don't really understand what I should be worried about. And what I'm saying is with an energy program, you can close those gaps. Okay, so what lands with the, the two minutes that we got left? Uh, and we oh, never even got me. we never even got to answer the question of who owns the battery incident. So we'll have to have a we'll have to change the title to energy <laughs> response, and we'll have to, to to try this again. But I'm really interested to to understand what is in your box like what defines your boundaries what things land within the response protocol of an energy team so would you know would hydrogen storage be considered something that would be an energy team or would that be more hazmat like those kind of fine lines where you have energy and hazmat come together how do you how do you merge that interface yeah, great question. I don't see hydrogen necessarily as being something that energy would lean into. Okay. You know, I don't see that right now. And I'll be honest, I'm not an expert on hydrogen. I just I know that that's kind of pulled it issue. out of my ass. No, that's a great question because because I mean, it's it's for me, it's the question around lithium ion. What on earth made this hazmat? Are you telling me because it's lithium? There's enough lithium in there to make up maybe a little bit of dust. Well, I, as far I, as active so I actually I get that question a lot, and I answer it in 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 the classes very simply. Is that what what made it hazmat? Is that uh, technicians? And I don't mean to put down other people, so please hear me out when I say this. Absolutely, Te technicians are able to think through a problem. General operations are guided by SOPs. If this, then this. There's no thought process. If your meter reads this, do this. If this dings, do this. Where technicians are taught very heavily to uh, examine a problem, examine the issue, learn the process, learn the chemical, learn the chemical physical properties, run your behavioral models, predict outcome, predict behavior, create a solution that's going to fit all that and implement it. Sure. And and I think that's how come Hazmat got tasked with the lithium-ion battery incident because there is no space in 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 the operations world to to allow for analyzation and thinking of a problem. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, so so allow me to retort. Sure. Please. So lithium-ion fires. Lithium, lithium ion batteries have been involved in fires since the 90s. This is not a new thing. Now, lithium ion achieved market saturation somewhere around 2014, 2015, where basically you didn't have a choice as to what was going to be in that device. So now those portable handheld devices, they're all over the place, right? They're mm -hmm. on us right now. You know, I'll bet there's a battery in this thing right here just cooking, waiting to fry me. The fact is, is that they've been in these fires for a very long time. And you know who's been handling them? Operations. But... Let me let me give credit where credit is due. Well, they've where been battling. They've been battling. They they haven't been dealing with them. They've just been operating around them, really not having a full understanding that they were even operating around them. So. I'm not really tracking what like like what is I'm not, well, sure, that that I'm not, I'm not sure that that's changing anything. Well, you know, I mean, so 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 what in is the, in the past an operations, they would go right. They would put the fire out and they would walk away. 
not having any clue that they were leaving behind something that could reignite, not having a clue what the dangers were. They were just doing their normal thing around them. I don't think they were necessarily dealing with the issue because they didn't even know that there was an issue to be dealt with. True. They didn't understand, you know, that there's, there was this rekindle component, right? right? Which, again, I would I would argue is a thermal concern, right? And thermal is what we do. This is what operations does. We yes. do thermal incidents, right? And so here's what I would say is that is that one, and this is a great thing to fight about, is that one, what are we worried about? When does lithium ion become, become a problem? Like, when is this thing an issue? Meaning, mean, and an issue meaning um, it's going to cause us a problem down the road that is thermal or chemical or choose. When is this thing become a a a a chemical hazard that causes us a problem for our gear and laundering our gear? Is the location matter? Does the spoil pile that we've been dumping on front lawns now for 40 years and allowing all of those chemicals to drain off into the ground, never inviting an EPA or anybody else to come in and do soil remediation or testing or anything like that, is this a different kind of problem than that? And I don't know that we're there yet. I don't know that we know yet. And that's one thing that I think that when I talk to people about the gases that come out of lithium-ion incidents, you've got a number of different chemistries, right? But when we talk about those, it's not real clear what we are really worried about yet. What actually gets into your gear? What actually can be water can be laundered out with water-based uh, uh, cleaning stuff? When do you actually have to put a level A suit on, if ever? I mean, if 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 the if the stuff that I have to wear to deal with lithium-ion from an overpack standpoint is I need to have gloves on. I need to have my, my, my standard structural firefighting PPE. I have to have an MSA on. I've got to be monitoring for gas. What gas I'm still not really sure of because they're not clear on that thing. And that's what is required to do this overpack on two 18650 cells. What do you tell those companies in Missouri that don't have access to a hazmat team or anything like that? So where is the threshold where, hey, listen, this is trending in a hazmat ownership direction, like ESS. And I mean real ESS. I mean more than half a megawatt. Right. I'm not talking about the crap you're going to find in a garage. Right. We're not talking about that. That's a thermal hazard, period. And thermal is what operations does. But certainly, as and again, I'm going to give Paul Rogers a lot of credit here because I don't know another fire guy. And he was at AFDNY. That name sounds very and, familiar. Uh, you know, he's one of your guys. Yeah, have we dealt with him? Uh, he's he's a great friend of mine. He's a he's a. I know I, he's. He, you're joking. He, he actually it, I just figured he, it out. He actually has my sheetrock lift. That mf'er. <laughs> Give me so, my sheetrock lift back. Paul Rogers. <laughs> Paul Rogers was way ahead of his time in looking at this you, thing. You have and no you idea. Ask him, you ask him, and I. And by the way, I just had him on the phone yesterday. You ask him, Paul. What made you think in 2012, 11 that this was hazmat? Well, I wasn't thinking it was hazmat. This is this is this is Paul. What I needed was, I knew we had this thing that was giving us problems, and I needed some people that could understand it a little more critically, a little harder look at this thing when we had to deal with this thing. Hazmat was what we had, and they've got this plan that everybody understands on the hazmat team, this way of looking at problems and resolving problems, and so it fit the mold, but that, that, that does not define this thing and make it hazmat. Now, it may have at the time, as far as who might have to deal with these things, now, when you start going into battery energy storage systems that are over half a megawatt and are confined into one space, 
Now that is trending in the direction of energy and hazmat. And that's how it's handled in the city of Seattle because you have such strong nexus between the two of them and you have a working relationship that they did develop. And, and the biggest reason is, I, unfortunately, energy response teams don't exist around the country. And I, I frankly, if you don't want to develop a technical team, that's problem. That's fine. But you probably should have an energy response program. It's interesting. I wish we had more time. No, it's an interesting concept. And, and I bet there's going to be people out there that want to talk to you about it. So how do they get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about energy response teams? Oh, we just called me on the phone. I'll be out on the tractor out in the field. That's where you okay. can find me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't give your uh, cell phone number out. You, you, <laughs> is, that a, is that a lithium-ion tractor? or is it? <laughs> Dude, I had a chance to buy one of those things. I'll tell you what. I don't think lithium-ion is that farm equipment yet, right? I'm like, maybe someday, but I'm still happy with diesel and mixed fuel. If you're, I mean, that's where I'm at. It'll get there eventually because, you know, I'm a believer, right? But... It's, but like they have this, they have a, ah, fuck it. We're wow. talking too much about this. So my email address is just Chris, which is just C-H-R-I-S dot green, which is G-R-E-E-N-E at E-H-T, which is just energy hazard training, E-H-T for the number four responders.com. That's me. All right. And I'm happy Chris. giving my phone number out also. I really don't care. I mean, people, I get calls all Go the time. Go for it. And if Do I'm not it. on the, if I'm not working in the field, I'm happy to pick up. Go ahead. Thanks for having me, guys. Like I said, <laughs> no it's, uh, I, I hope we to don't have, have you. enough representation for farmhands out there. And let me tell you something: we got a lot to talk about because we do. We because, didn't even touch uh, the incident uh, in 2008 with manholes. There is so much energy to talk about. That, no, that, I, I have a whole list of questions. You're coming on again. I'm just letting you know that uh, whether you're on a tractor great. or not, and I got a whole list of questions to still pick your brain about. Well, the right. show was everything I thought it was going to be. You guys are great. I mean, this is <laughs> Thank you. you're fun to talk to, and I, 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 you know, I'd heard that about you guys. That you guys, this was a, this was a good, legit, fun experience, and you're going to talk and flesh things out. And uh, uh, thanks for uh, letting me jabber. I, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate that. All right.